This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to your Friday edition of Sports Bar Radio on the eve of a long weekend, a long hot weekend if you're in the lower mainland and when i say lower mainland for those who are listening maybe not from vancouver uh we're basically talking about the west coast of canada here where it is absolutely scorching i think it's about like 50 days of no rain 50 straight days in vancouver of all places of no rain it is bone dry uh, whether you're in the lower mainland maybe you're over on the island up in the interior it is dry so please no fires if you're going camping if you're spending time with family whatever you do Please be extra careful to make sure that we can take a little bit of pressure off these already taxed firefighters throughout the province of British Columbia. Okay, there's a lot to get to, as I say on almost every show, but this show in particular, I don't know, just on the heels of the NHL deadline, now we've got Major League Baseball's deadline, the trade deadline, and the Toronto Blue Jays have gone big. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. So the Toronto Blue Jays have made a very big splash. They went out and they got Jose Barrios from the Minnesota Twins, and this is a very big arm in the American League. Don't get me wrong. For the Toronto Blue Jays to go out there and get support for Hunjin Ryu and the rest of their staff is exactly what the doctor ordered. That said, the Toronto Blue Jays over the last couple of years have been very big at mixing high-profile signings like Ryu and then after that George Springer with developing a farm system that a lot of people in baseball are starting to say will bear fruit. So when the return for Barrios ended up being both Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson, Excuse me, will I catch my breath? That is the number two and the number four prospect within the Toronto Blue Jays organization. A couple of days earlier, they got rid of Riley Adams to the Nationals, and you start to see that both Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro are going in for the now. Say what you want about where they are overall, but this is the Toronto Blue Jays over the past two years going all in. They have gone and gotten Hyunjin Ryu, George Springer, and now Jose Barrios. That's as good as almost any team in baseball. Don't be wrong, there's teams like the Dodgers who can on a whim insert nine-figure guy here. But for the Toronto Blue Jays, who for the past several years have been bottom feeders and everybody's been clamoring for Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro's job because they weren't doing anything, well, they're doing something and they're doing lots. And reality is, is you'll never get equality through your minor league system and your major league system. Fact is, you use the draft to build up your stockpile and then make moves like this. I've got no problem with it. It's just a little jaw-dropping that both two and four went out the door for Jose Barrios, who's an arbitration guy next year, and then a UFA the following year. Which means you've got 12 months to sell Barrios on being a long-term option in Toronto. Not saying that it can't get done but they will have to back up the truck to keep the 27-year-old in-house. And by the way, he'll be a free agent at 29, and the Blue Jays by then will know what they have with him as to whether or not they want to keep him or let him go to parts unknown. But make no mistake about it, 
as we look around and see what the Yankees are doing, as we look around and see what the rest of the teams, Joey Gallo's going places, everybody's stockpiling. The Blue Jays just didn't sit by the wayside on the side of the road and let everybody else get big. They jumped into the deep end as well and let the chips fall where they may. I've got no problem with the move. Is it steep prospect-wise? Yes. It's not sorta kinda, it's yes, it is. Because Austin Martin, whether you liked his power or not, he's going to be a major league player. And he's going to be a good major league player. Simeon Woods Richardson, yeah, the ERA was in the mid-fives at AA, but at the same time, he had 67 strikeouts in about, what, 45 innings? It's a guy with a big arm, and if somebody can harness it, they've got another guy that could one day pitch in the major leagues. So, it is go all in now. And if I'm the Toronto Blue Jays at the major league level, I am looking at Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, and I'm saying thank you. Thank you because for the last year and a half, they've been on the road and nowhere but the road. Sure, they get to go home to Toronto this week, and that's all fine and dandy, and trust me, it's a long time coming. But if I'm a player, and I have busted my hump for the last two years, and my ownership and my executive do nothing, I can't wait to get out. But I don't think there's a player right now within the Toronto Blue Jays organization that isn't looking at Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro and saying thank you. Thank you for giving us the tools and at least the opportunity and the belief that we can compete with the big boys. And thank you for giving us another weapon to try and battle the Rays, the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the rest of the American League. There's nothing worse than being in a clubhouse and watching other teams get better while your executives stay steadfast. They went all in, they got one of the biggest available arms out there, and the Blue Jays are all in. You may not like this three, four, five years down the road, in the event that Austin Martin's doing big things and Jose Barrios is wearing somebody else's jersey. But for today, considering everything that the Blue Jays have been through, I love this move. All right, let's get to the rest of the news of the day. There's nothing like this, but there is a bunch of stuff. We're going to go to the Olympic Games. We're going to go to the National Basketball Association where the Raptors passed up on somebody I didn't think they would, and much more. Let me get you to that one room where we house it all. Let me get you to the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. 10 topics, 10 minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. Okay, so before we get to the Olympic Games, before we get to all of the stuff going on in sport today, an interesting announcement coming out of Toronto. The legendary broadcaster Michael Landsberg calling it quits at TSN 1050. Now, I always have known Michael Landsberg as the host of Off the Record. That was a groundbreaking show, and not just because of the format, but because Michael Landsberg gave light to other sports that maybe didn't get light in the mainstream media. For example, mixed martial arts, UFC, when they were first starting out, it was Michael Landsberg who was one of the guys that brought those fighters onto his show. Same with sports entertainment, Vince McMahon, Stone Cold. They all came through off the record with Michael Landsberg because he gave them the platform. I would put him on my personal Mount Rushmore of the greatest interviewers of our generation. I'd put him up there with Nardwar, I'd put him up there with George Strombolopoulos. I'd put him up there with the best in the business, regardless of sport, entertainment, music, what have you. Here's my favorite moment. This is, and again, full credit to TSN, this is theirs. But here is Michael Landsberg going one-on-one -on -one with the bad guy, UFC legend Chael Sonnen. 
Those words from Chael Sonnen after beating Brian Stan at UFC 136 on October the 8th. Now, just over five weeks later, Chael, you backed down. Is that the truth? What? You backed down. Didn't you say that if the offer has expired and you're no longer willing to throw out those terms? You might want to take the bass out of your tone. I'm not sure you know who you're talking to here, but I've never backed down from anything, so check your facts. Okay, so you're saying that, that you will fight Anderson Silva and that if he beats you, you will leave the UFC forever. When? What are you talking about? What is this, your first day on the job? Okay, well, tell you, me what I'm saying wrong. You're mixing five different stories here. I mean, th th this is like doing amateur hour or something. What, what show am I on here? What did you is say? Public, is this for public radio? What did you radio? say after your last fight in the Octagon? Well, you just played it, but, but what are you talking about? You're combining stories here. Where, where, where do we go from me defending my championship for the first time, issuing a challenge for my second championship title defense, to all of a sudden the great Chael Sonnen is back down? Who, who's doing your facts there? Uh, I heard that, that you said the offer had expired. I heard I, that, I, that yeah, they heard it expired. Well, now you're hearing from the champion himself. Okay. The so, offer has not expired. What are you even talking about? What offer? Should we just redo this, or do you just want to go on the air and look like a fool? What is okay. it you're even well, talking about? It wasn't, uh, okay, we, we can redo this. Uh, wasn't, no, guy, didn't, what, didn't uh, you say... What, what was no, he? don't redo this. This is the interview. This is the interview. I realize, oh, God, it really is amateur hour. <laughs> uh, so, so what, you, you don't see... He says we're going to redo this. Yeah, okay. That was great TV. Yeah, I just want to make sure that, that was I actually great TV, and now you really have I, ruined it. I, you actually really sold. Now that I'm well. being serious. Okay. Yes, I'm aware that was yeah. great TV, and now okay. we've lost. Okay, it. we'll make we'll make it even better. So, so what did you say? Just, just I just want to make sure that I have it correct. Well, you know what I said, but you're telling me that I backed down. I, I heard that, you backed that, down. That's garbage. Okay, so what, what, how how do you just say things like I hear you backed down? Here I am looking to pick a fight with Anderson. I backed down. I stood there big and tall and he covered his mouth like a little fruity boy okay. and you're gonna come on ESPN and say that I back down while I give you a free interview okay he's the one that backed down how could you even say something so stupid so why don't you try to go get a free interview with Anderson Silva and see how that works out for you so okay hold on to that I like that you're gonna tell me that I back down do, you know, what do you want what do you want to do does you, the offer stand? if I tell you I'll sell you my car for 10 grand you think I can okay. just call you back a year from now and say hey okay. I'll take that 10 grand for the car that's not how offers work is that how you guys do business Business in Canada? Yeah, that's it. Because in my country that created business, offers expire. I made him an offer. Apparently, it didn't work. He didn't accept it. So it's not that I backed down, but apparently I need to present him with a new offer. Okay. You guys probably don't do that in socialism, but in, in, in America, in a capitalistic society, that's how things work. Let's clarify this, because you and I have been debating before we went on the air. What is your offer and challenge to Anderson Silva? Well, I would love to clarify it, and if I had enough respect for you and your show, I would probably do it. But okay, I so so you 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 throw something out, and five weeks later, you're walking away from it. Next question. <laughs> okay, August the seventh, two thousand and ten, UFC one seventeen, three ten of the fifth round. What are your memories of that? Of two thousand and ten? Yeah. I can't remember what I had for breakfast. Well, I remember today. Anderson Silva, after you beat him for four rounds, submitted you. All right.
So was that like a trick question? Was this no, like fantasy I want to get your thoughts you, on. You on ask a, guy, a trick question? No, it's to, not a trick question you, at all. Do they already know the answers to? Right, no, my question is... Your little cheat sheet, did you write that down on the palm of your hand? No, so I you did it right from here. today's interview? Have you worked on your jujitsu since, since then? You certainly look like you had against Brian Stan. Uh, I mean, I work, I work on skills every day. Would you agree that your jujitsu at that point was probably deficient? No. No? So how did you let a guy, after you dominated him for four rounds, submit you in the fifth round? Well, look, it's a two-man sport. It's not a matter of letting somebody do something. I, I've been doing stuff my whole life. It's, you know, guy walks his whole life doesn't mean he doesn't stumble every now and then. Right. And if you fight him again, how do you prevent that from happening, the stumble? Oh, I, who cares if it does happen? Who cares? Who cares if it does happen? I don't get that. I'm sure you don't. You're, no, but that's, what do you that's mean? Who cares if it does happen? And you don't you, get locked in the octagon. Right. I, I think you chose the right career path. It right. So you got a So you don't care. You don't care if you lose to Anderson Silva. Well, is this like gotcha questions? Let's just move. This is, this is turning confrontational here. Well, while I've given up my time to come and give you an interview, do you have anything pertinent to ask, or are we just going around and around here? Well, I thought that was a pertinent question. I asked you about jujitsu. Well, it's but not. It's a stupid okay. question. Okay. So move. Read the little palm of your hand that you wrote your, your 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 points down on, and move to the next one. Let's see if we can actually do something here today. Give the people something to watch. It's amazing. Like, that is what journalism should be. That is what entertainment should be. And Michael Landsberg was able to mesh those two together, probably as good as anybody that I've ever come across. And it wasn't just the fact that he was doing it for show. He also brought some of these big names down a notch and brought them to more of a, a human approach where we could enjoy the broadcast instead of just the standard Ben Mulroney kind of like, so what's it like shooting the movie? He was awesome at what he did. And Michael Landsberg, I don't know if he's going to take on some side projects or what the future holds, but what he did both for mental health and for just good old-fashioned entertainment for more than 30 years, definitely a tip of the cap to the great one, Michael Landsberg today, who leaves TSN 1050 in Toronto. Well, a couple of little notes coming from the National Hockey League, one out of Beantown where David Krejci has announced that he will not return to the Bruins next season, leaving the NHL after 15 seasons. He's going to play at home in the Czech Republic. He says, quote, since the end of the season, I have thought about my future. It's become clear that I need to make this difficult decision for my family and myself. At this point in my career and life, I need to return to the Czech Republic and play in front of my family who have sacrificed so much to help me achieve my NHL dreams, unquote. 35-year-old center, 15 years in the NHL, doesn't owe anybody anything, made his money, got a Stanley Cup ring, and now wants to go home and play in front of his family. I think it's uh, what every player should do if they get the chance. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I think the NHL is still the pinnacle of hockey if you want to talk about global leagues. But I also think, and you know, you think about Yarmi Yager, and you think about Alexander Ovechkin, and certain players that at some point have at least contemplated, if not gone, back home. We always think that it's our city and our league that the players want to finish up in, but I think there's still a year or two of David Krejci that could play at the highest level, and he wants to do it at home. Home. And that's what I think you got to just simply tip your cap to and move on. It uh, would have been interesting if Daniel and Hendrik could have gone home and maybe played a year in the Swedish Elite League, which I think would have gotten them record numbers and unbelievable attention, and also had an opportunity for their family, quote, to go home as well. So... Yeah, I, I just, I like these kind of things when I see them. I'm not against it at all, and I wish nothing but David Krejci the best. All right, to the gridiron, how about this? We talk about this in baseball all the time, pitchers and their pitch counts. 
Well, it looks like Green Bay Packer quarterback Aaron Rodgers is going to go on a throw count to avoid wear and tear. This coming from Aaron LaFleur. He missed all of the offseason work in Green Bay because he was having that pouting fest with the organization, and he is not going to be at full speed anytime soon. Matt LaFleur, the Packers coach, did say, quote, so he and I did talk about exactly what number we're looking for each day or being below a certain number. So we've got a guy out there, and let me know when we're at the halfway mark, and I will then relay that onto Aaron. Have you ever seen this before? Where a quarterback, and, and at least let me rephrase that, have you ever seen this publicly? Where a quarterback has stepped to the forefront and been like, I'm going to give you 80 passes, do what you want with them, but after that, I'm hitting the showers. Rodgers today threw 13 passes on regular speed team periods, 15 on Thursday, 14 during open practice back on Wednesday. After that, their younger quarterback, Jordan Love, steps in and takes the rest of the reps. How is this going to work in Green Bay? Is he going to make it so awkward and uncomfortable that eventually they just have to make a decision on him? Aaron Rodgers sat out all of the early work, has come in and basically thrown a dozen balls a day, and then pieces out. Lafleur also said the biggest thing was just getting on the same page with some of the offseason tweaks that we had made to our offense. And, you know, we're kind of working through those things right now. Lafleur is in a no-win situation with the MVP of the NFL. It is amazing to watch from a distance. A little bit of drama at the Olympics for Canada's women's national team. Goaltender Stephanie LeBay stopped two kicks. Canada beats Brazil 4-3 in penalties, and they are off to the semifinals. And get a load of this from the hardwood. According to sources, the Los Angeles Lakers have reached a deal to acquire Russell Westbrook, sending three players back to the Washington Wizards. That is an unbelievable deal. It looks like it's going to be Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Montrezl Harrell. The Wizards are sending 2024 and 2028 second-round picks to complete that deal. But Westbrook joins LeBron James and Anthony Davis in L.A., gives the team a nine-time All-Star point guard, Westbrook in his prime turning 33, and it gives the Lake Show two of the top five players in career triple-doubles. Westbrook has 184, LeBron with 99. Now, this trade can't become official until August the 6th. That's when the salary cap becomes official. But Westbrook has already penned a goodbye to D.C. and did so on Thursday night via social media. And you think hockey players get paid a lot? How about this? Russell Westbrook next season is going to make $44.2 million. And the year after that, he's going to make $47 million. Some big bucks. The Lake Show is back, and they are back overnight. Toronto Raptors in the news because it looks like they're one of three teams that is courting Lonzo Ball. It's not Russell Westbrook by any stretch of the imagination, but the Raps are looking at life after Kyle Lowry. And I'm not sure if Lonzo Ball is going to want to play with the Raptors in Canada, but there is definitely a conversation that Toronto is in the mix for the former founder of Big Baller Brand. All right, let's take our break here. When we come back, we're going to circle back on an interview from earlier this week that I think is definitely worth your time. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio. As always, brought to you by Equity Guru. We'll be back after this. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay. Brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. This segment is brought to you by Globex Mining. 
a mineral royalty company with 96 properties that has doubled in value since April. Globax owns assets in the area of precious, base, specialty, and industrial metals and recently sold one of its exploration properties to the giant Yamana Gold for $15 million, a lithium property sold to First Energy a week earlier. Their ticker symbol, GMX. For more information on Globex Mining, visit www.equity.guru. Welcome back to Sports Bar Radio with host Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity.Guru. Okay, welcome back to Sports Bar Radio. I am Rob Fay. This is your long weekend edition. And man, dude, I'm still thinking about the Lakers grabbing Russell Westbrook. AD, LeBron, and Russell Westbrook. The West changes in the blink of an eye. Okay, so earlier this week, I had an opportunity to catch up with a very, very special man. He is the president of the Monaco Film Festival. He is the owner and CEO of Sycamore Entertainment, and he's got his hands in the upcoming Vancouver Formula E race as he reps one of the brands that's going to be on hand here in just a couple of months' time. He goes by the name of Edward Sylvan. And what's interesting about Edward, before we get to this interview that we had a little bit earlier this week, Edward is an Afro-American man in a very starched white collar industry. And it has been amazing to watch his ascent as he has done the business the right way. He's gone about this because he's truly got a love for what he does. But more than anything, I think he's acutely aware of what it's like being a black man in a white man's world. It's worth the replay. So here is the president of the Monaco Film Festival, the CEO of Sycamore Entertainment and Segi TV, Edward Sylvan. My first question to him is what got him into this business and why does he love it so much? You know what, Rob? It started where it is right now in the film business. When I was young, I used to love going to watch the movies and uh, it was a way for us to to take our mind off what was going on around us. You know, our family comes from Trinidad and we, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. My mom and dad worked really hard to make sure that we were taken care of. And, you know, we had a roof over our head and food on the table, but that was pretty much it. So, so in terms of entertainment and, and making sure that, you know, we had our minds in the right place, my brother and my sister and I, we spent a ton of time at the movies. And I just fell in love with film and, and studied and, you know, went to school. But it was one film in particular that started this whole thing. And it was the movie Wall Street of all films. I had no idea what was going on in the film. But all I said to myself was, I, I don't know what's going on, but that's as interesting as hell. And I, and I want to learn about that. Incidentally, nobody in my family has ever had any exposure to any of that sort of financial world. So, so I literally had nobody to ask. I just literally saw that movie was inspired by it and coming up in Toronto for us it was Bay Street as opposed to Wall Street in New York and yeah. I just pounded the pavement down there and looked for a job and finally landed a job in a mailroom at an insurance company and it took me all over the floors and the exchanges and I just fell in love Robin and that's where it started. You know one thing that I'll say Edward and I can probably speak to this from experience you go through this phase where you're too young to hang out with the old guys and then all of a sudden you're too old to hang out with the young guys right. and i wonder if that sweet spot when you finally met your stride when you were finally right where you wanted to be were you ready for that moment when all of a sudden you realized that you could make the moves you'd always wanted to make it's a good question you're never ready but you just know you have to do it at the end of the day if you want to if you want to just get what it is you're after sometimes the people around you aren't, don't have what it takes to give you the encouragement 
So you just got to step into it. And a lot of the times when I was working earlier on in the business, I knew I didn't understand exactly what was going on, but that created a burning desire to just learn it. And I knew I was ready to take it on. It was intimidating as hell, but the challenge of it, Rob, was just overwhelming. And I've just been pushing ever since and hit my tipping point. And now things are in a place where I'm meeting people and going places and, and doing things that I would have never dreamed of when I was a kid, Rob. I'm going to save the question that I ask everybody for a little bit later, but hold that thought right there. Um, okay. Edward, I want to talk a bit about Segi TV because sure. we know that you've done great things in the financial sector, but then all of a sudden, again, like full circle, you wanted to get back into the film industry and development of film. Can you tell us a little bit about Segi TV? Can you tell us a little bit about Sycamore Films and just how one led to the other? Sycamore Entertainment was something that uh, my brother Terry and I started back in 2010. And what it was is we were come from a financial background and we watched around us during that time a lot of Wall Street money making its way into the film business. A lot of independent studios and a lot of majors were taking money from Wall Street in these hedge fund deals. And we saw that happening, but there was not a lot of that happening for filmmakers of color. Nothing was happening and, and none of the deals and none of the financing were going to black filmmakers. And we said that being from the finance industry, my brother and I, we said, who's doing this? And I got together with a, a local young producer, director named Tyrone Dixon in, in LA. And we yeah. started to educate a lot of these black filmmakers on how to put together financial packages, how to structure it, how to speak to investors, how to talk about getting their money back if investors put money in. And from that, Rob, we developed the company Sycamore Entertainment, and that's where it all started. I would assume when you take that on that you run into hurdles that maybe not a lot of people are even aware of. I mean, you're acutely aware of it because you're facing it head on. But I think right. there is kind of a, a blinder effect to the common person that maybe doesn't realize the challenge that a, you know, an Afro-American man or an Indian man or an Asian man would face walking into these rooms. Without getting into particulars and names, can you maybe educate us a little bit on some of the hurdles that you saw early on, whether it was for yourself or maybe somebody that you're helping along? Coming from the financial industry, Rob, first of all, working in that industry, there's absolutely not a lot of people that look like me. I, I believe I was the only one in my firm at the time. I was working for a company called Nesbitt Thompson back then, before they merged with Burns Fry to become Nesbitt Burns. There was nobody that looked like me at all. So a lot of the times when you're speaking to people who are of means and wealth, there's a trust issue. So dealing with people like myself, there was that lack of trust. So it took me extra long to develop trust among investors and clients in order for them to have that trust in me to work with me. So something that came easy to somebody who was Caucasian, it took me months and months and years to develop that same level of trust just to get to the same place. So what took somebody a year to achieve took us three, four, five years to get to the same place. Those were the challenges we faced and we face them today. There's probably several forks in the road that you faced over your time and some people would wither away and other people use those opportunities to fuel the fire. Absolutely. Was that something that you looked at and said, you know what, even if it doesn't happen to me, even if I am the person that simply blazes a trail, I'm going to do this so that the next person that walks through doesn't have to run through the ropes that I had to run through. You know what, you hit it bang on, Rob, because I knew that I wasn't going to give up and failure wasn't an option for me. I knew that I had to put the time in. I'm a big sport fan. 
and I grew up watching, you know, I'm going to age myself, but I grew up watching guys like Dr. J and then after him, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. I watched those guys. And one thing that's consistent in basketball is these guys put their work in. And I realized I'm not a basketball player, but when you want to achieve something, you got to put that work in. So I wasn't going to give up. I saw it as a challenge. I knew that if I just put in the time served, it was going to happen for me because I've seen it happen for other people in other disciplines. So I wasn't going to let it go just because I had some, let's call them what they are, failures. I, I've had just straight out failures, but I never let that deter me at all because I knew at the end of the day, if you put the work in and you put the time in, you're going to get what it is you're after. He is Edward Sylvan, the CEO of Sycamore Entertainment and also Segi TV. And Ed, that's where I want to go next. Let's talk about Segi because I love what you guys stand for. I mean, sure, you have so many options when you turn on your television or any of your social devices. But I love that you right now are building a platform that is available to all ethnicities. You're available to all sexes, all races, all cultures, all religions. That is... I never thought I would see, and yet you're blazing that trail as well. Can you introduce us to Segi TV? Segi TV is a over-the-top platform, so we're available on all the devices that we know and love now, everything from Roku to Amazon to the iOS app to the Android app, and pretty much any device that you have in any operating software, you can pretty much get Segi TV. One of the things that we wanted to focus on, Rob, was there's the Netflix of the worlds and the HBO Maxes and the giants out there. And they're all showing films that speak to and touch on black issues and East Indian issues and Asian issues. But that's just the surface. We want to actually truly represent the underrepresented because every day we're making up a percentage of the overall society and the overall consumer dollar but nobody's addressing us in terms of what our issues are, what our cultures are, and actually bringing those stories to the forefront. A lot of these filmmakers, they don't have a deal at William Morris Agency. They don't have agents. They don't have managers. They're just quality and skilled filmmakers, and nobody's speaking to them. So we wanted to go and go after those stories and bring them to the forefront because there's an audience for every story that's told out there. And we want to represent that niche and we want to be able to tell their stories. And that's the basis of what SEGI TV is about as we go, as we go further. I noticed when you got involved with Extreme E, which to right. me is definitely the wave of the racing future, that you were involved with something that I think is socially responsible, which is taking on a new form of racing that addresses right. some of the climate challenges globally. Right, absolutely. I think everybody, you know, the writing is on the wall for combustion engines. Their days are numbered. And this is a form of racing that will highlight the technology and the R&D that's going behind the electrification of vehicles. But beyond the racing, Rob, one of the mandates that really got me involved and really had me jump in and say yes to extreme was the equality factor, because yes. every every race team mandates that of the two drivers, one must be male, one must be female. The only other sport, professional sport, that mandates a pro is mixed doubles tennis. So this is the only other sport that does it at the professional level. And it's just a wake up call to the world that equality is something that we need in not only sport, but in, in the workplace, all everywhere. And this racing series is putting its money where its mouth is and really pushing the equality initiative, which is something that I'm all for.
And I love that you're taking these races to some of the most remote regions of the world and explaining the story of Mother Earth, which I think is on its own so admirable. But I will tell you this, Ed, and I say this honestly, as a guy that did his university in Indiana, just a couple hours away from the Brickyard, when I found out that you were pairing up with Chip Ganassi Racing, my eyebrows raised significantly because now you're talking about the big boys. How did that relationship come to be? That relationship came to be as a function of uh, Sycamore Entertainment. As you know, we're a publicly traded company. And uh, so we have, a, we have a significant amount of shareholders and stakeholders that, that invest in our company. And, and the thing about how I run Sycamore is that a lot of the stakeholders, a lot of the shareholders, a lot of the investors have come to be friends of mine. I speak to them over social media and we, we stay in communication. We I update them as some of them I've never met face to face, but we speak. We've been speaking for years and the Chip Ganassi relationship came from one of the shareholders of Sycamore Entertainment. He's, he's actually an individual that works for Chip and he's an individual who designs the, the liveries for the cars. As somebody who raced carts when I was young and loved racing, I said to him half jokingly, but I said, you know, one of these days I'm going to sponsor one of your cars. That conversation led to months and months and months of conversations and the next thing you knew, I was on a phone with Chip himself talking about that and the rest is history and now we're on his uh, number 99 car for Extreme E and we're on his number 10 car, Alex Pelot driving in, in the IndyCar series. It's like a dream come true. Sometimes I got to pinch myself. Number 99 on any car in Vancouver is a big deal because that was Greg Moore's <laughs> number as well. Now you're a guy from Vancouver. You're a guy that now understands that there is a, a pretty big e-race that is coming to this city as well. I want your thoughts on that. Formula E all of a sudden saying that, you know what, we're coming back to Vancouver because I used to cover the Molson right. Indy when it was the likes of Greg Moore and Paul Tracy, Jacques Villeneuve. To have it back, I mean, this is a big racing town, and yet this is the type of race that I think Vancouver could really embrace. Absolutely. I think there's no better city of all the cities on this circuit that's more conducive of what Formula E is than Vancouver. And the, the people who are in charge of the race, Formula E operations, they've intimated that on many occasions that they would love nothing more than to race in Vancouver. And now it's a reality because of our whole outlook on sustainability, on inclusion, on diversity here, in, like nothing exemplifies it like a Vancouver. And this just and just, you know, that's one thing. And just the backdrop, the beauty of the Vancouver city is, is amazing. Formula E is conducive of very, very tight circuit racing in the downtown cores. We had pretty much a, a track laid out in part because of Indy and the landscapes and the people in the international city that this is. It deserves a race and we're happy to be a part of that narrative going forward. And, and there's a, and there's a lot to come from from Steggy TV with respect to that. What would it mean to you personally, Ed, to be a guy that, you know, has obviously ties to Vancouver, you're a Canadian, you're a local, to have a team and a race here in the city? What would it mean to you personally? It would mean the realization of a, of a personal goal to, to be a stakeholder in my city, to do something as significant as bringing awareness to the future, which is electrification of vehicles and all the things that Extreme E and Formula E stand for. And to be on the forefront of that, to be a leader, to be a change maker. It's just everything that I stand for. It's everything that I believe in. And to be able to do it in my hometown as one of the stakeholders in the race, as well as the, the teams would just be a dream come true and it would mean everything to me. And the other thing, Rob, is I just want to be able to, to share it 
with as many local people as possible because, you know, Vancouver is my adopted city. I've literally been living in Vancouver now more years than I ever lived in my hometown of Toronto. So this is my second city. It's my home now. And I want to do something as significant as bring that awareness to the world because Formula E is a global event and the whole world is watching all of those races. I think it's going to take one race and people in Vancouver are going to get it. And a couple more just before we wrap up. I know that everybody assumes that when you see a label on the side of the car that they're just oozing money, but you've had to work hard to get to this point where you can engage in these kind of conversations and these kind of sponsorships. What would you say to sponsors out there that are still on the fence as to, you know, do they want to get involved with racing? Do they want to get involved with Segi and, and Chip Ganassi racing and everything that you've built? I mean, if you were a, an outsider looking in, what would you tell them about what you guys are up to and, and where you guys are at? I would tell them that right now, it's more important to be a good global and corporate citizen than to focus on profits at this stage of growth and change. For a lot of corporations, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. You really want to take a chance. You really want to do something that's changing, life-changing, not only for your company, but changing the quality of people's lives. And so I urge sponsors and investors and people who this might be new to, to look into something that is the future. It's not very often that you're on the cusp of something like as, as, as groundbreaking as the electrification of vehicles and the saving of the environment. I, if you look back, the, the last time something as, as life-changing as this happened, it was the advent and the commercialization of the computer. And look how that's changed our life. And this is the next phase of that. So I say to sponsors, I say to investors, you know, have a good look at it. It's a good business decision. It's how people are going to decide on how to spend their money. They're going to look at you and decide on what are you doing in order to improve the environment. And you really want to be sincere when you answer that question. I find that there's one consistent narrative through all of your journey, whether it was in the financial sector or even right now in the racing community and what you're doing with films to this day you've got a really good gauge and you've got a really good social conscience. Where does that come from? You know what? It came from seeing my parents come from where they were born in Trinidad to a foreign place and accept all of the things that were foreign to them and just be good to everybody. Because at the beginning of our journey, people weren't really good to us because we were very different. And I always, I saw that and I experienced it and I lived it. And, and one of the things that just made me think about as a young person and as an adult is just, you know what? You always have to just think of other people. You always have to just do what's right and do what feels good and accept the change. And I just, it just comes natural to me because of how my parents and I seen them struggle. But throughout the struggles, they were always just the kindest people and always looked for and considered others, even in their struggle. And it's just something that our family has just always been about. And I'm going to take you to the time machine for my final two questions, Ed. I appreciate this. And just work with me on this one. Let me go back to your childhood. You go into your mom's kitchen or your dad's kitchen. What's the meal you're asking for? I'm asking for curry roti with, uh, with chickpeas and uh, an asoro, which is the drink. <laughs> I remember in Toronto growing up, and I had no idea what ting was. And then all of a sudden, I went to Carabana once. I had the yeah. hottest beef patty I've ever had in my life. And I, <laughs> I, I was able to quell the pain with a couple of tings. And you know what? It's funny. is 
Fast forward 25 years and I happened to stumble across a place on Commercial Drive and they sold the exact same thing. And I tried the same patty and it wasn't nearly as hot. That was that's Man. Ritalin Spice on commercial. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for it. That's <laughs> and, a great question. <laughs> I love no, it. That's, I, I think about that all the time because, you know, the last question that I'm going to hit you with is a little more generalized, but I just love everything that you've mentioned all seems to symmetrically work back to just having good principles and good morals and good standards, which I would want to do business with a person like that. There has to be an origin. So I love taking myself back to your your parents' kitchen and just realizing that this is a kid that just used to eat curry, roti, and, you know, washed it down with something nice. But let's, <laughs> let's, um, let's finish up with a question. It's, it's the question that I ask every guest that I have on the show. It doesn't matter who it is, athlete, musician, okay. entrepreneur, what have you. Take me to one place in your life where you looked around and said, how the heck did I get here? Some, you know, it could be on a date with your future wife. It could be along, you know, Robert De Niro. It could be anywhere. One place where you looked around and said, how the heck did I get here? Can I give you two, Rob? I take three, whatever you want. The first place that I got to and I asked, how the hell did I get here was in the delivery room when I had my first daughter. I was like, what am I, you know, that was the, the most uh, um, sobering moment of my life seeing Absolutely. that, you know, I, I'm like, you know, I was a young guy and I was, and I was literally becoming a father in real time. And I was like, wow, you know, that was, you know, and I think about that a lot, you know, as I'm, as I'm older and, and, and I use that for, you know, because it was that fear that I felt. And knowing that I was terrified, but also knowing it doesn't matter how scared you are, Ed, you got a job to do, bro. Mm-hmm. That sort of drives me in my business and, and because it's scary out here in business, you know. And then on the professional level, I was literally standing on the red carpet in, 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 um, at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel with Meryl Streep with a thousand cameras pointed at us as they as the, as we walked down the red carpet and 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 uh, greeted each other and, and over one of the largest events of the evening just the day before the oscars and i'm like how the hell did i get here you know and and and, 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 and i'll never forget that <laughs> that might talk now i have long said ed the greatest one that i've heard maybe prior to what you just dropped was um, a baseball player named tony tarasco said that when he was playing with the Atlanta Braves one night, the boys took him out and they went to a hip hop session, you know, because, you know, baseball players get access to things that not the common man does. And it ended up being DeBrat laying down Functified. And he was on the other and he was on the other side of the glass. And up until this moment, that has stood the test of time. But walking (laughs) on the red carpet with Meryl Streep, I think he might have just gone to the front of the line. Yeah, you know, and the funny part about it is when you're like when you're watching their video, a lot of times you don't people don't get to see the thousands of cameras pointed at her. Mm-hmm. So we're pointing at me and I've never been in that position before. And I was like the deer in the headlights, but I was <laughs> I, I was so happy to be able to be there. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is a culmination of a lot of the things that I've done and, and dreamed about. And, you know, it, it was uh, it was it was great. It was a great well, day. I'm going to slide this one, Ed, just because I want to make sure that we round out this interview and let people know that you're into more than just e-racing. The film industry has really embraced you, have they not, over the last couple of years? I mean, one of the biggest film festivals in the world basically tapped you on the shoulder and said, you're our guy. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's something that, uh, um, you know, that's a function of just being in the relationships, spending time in Monaco. A lot of my associates uh, developed those relationships and I kind of stepped into a relationship and it worked. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to really take advantage of it because the appointment came in the middle of COVID when everything was shut down and, and, and we weren't able to get the festival off. So that's something that I, I hope to get back to and, and really use my talents and my relationships uh, to make something of it in the future. But, but absolutely, you know, I, you know, I started off watching movies and wanting to be the people in the films, and now I'm making filmmakers' dreams come true and, and getting their films out there for the world to see. It's just, it's just an amazing journey, and the journey is only starting. Believe me, you know, we have a long way to go. It is a movie script onto its own. And I really appreciate your time today. This means a lot to me that we finally got together, but more that we get to spread the word about not just Segi TV and Sycamore Films and all the things that you've done, but just the impact that you're having in your community. It means a lot to so many people. I, I, I say this to people like you often, and I hope you understand this. There's a child out there tonight that has no idea that because of your efforts over the last couple of years, their journey towards their dreams just got easier. And I think you really have to remember those little details. And sometimes it takes a common dude like me to remind you that right. that is the things that you're doing have such an impact that are going to stand the test of time. So keep doing what you're doing. I, I, I'm inspired by you. I understand what you represent. And I will follow you guys wherever you go because I think your companies and you in particular uh, have your heart in the right place. So, Ed, you're welcome on this show anytime. Thank you so much, Rob. And again, congratulations on everything you do. You know, I've been following you through our relationships for a long time and and um your your journey is just as amazing and, and and the fact that you just keep pushing it and being brave out there it's it's what inspires guys like me so thank you for giving me this platform that you've you've built to share my message as well there's an old adage just keep pedaling forward and eventually you'll get to the store and yes. <laughs> so, so. thank you for this let's do this again absolutely thank you so much rob a fantastic interview and my thanks to both Edward Sylvan and to Sonny Jara who helped set up that interview. Okay, let's put a wrap on this. Thank you so much for liking, subscribing, reviewing, and most importantly, for sharing Sports Bar Radio. I hope you have a fantastic long weekend, a safe and cool weekend as well. And my thanks to Jay Swing, producer extraordinaire, brother from another mother, and to everybody over at Equity Guru. They've been so good to me at Equity Guru. Chris Perry, Galen, JP Chung, and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi. Until we do this again on Tuesday, hey, it's a long weekend. I will get the long weekend as well. We'll get a lot of sports stories organized for you. And then on Tuesday, we will hit the ground running. Please know how much I appreciate you listening to this podcast today and any podcast that I'm able to put together for you in the future. I'm Rob Fay. Have yourself a tremendous weekend. This has been Sports Bar Radio presented to you by Equity Guru. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.